Welcome to this bonus feature related to our episode on Be Curious. Robert Kaplinsky was meant to be a guest on our second episode, but the timing didn't work out. We are grateful that he was able to reschedule and talk with John for this special feature. Welcome, I'm Dave. I'm John. And this is Teaching Like Ted Lasso. Warning. We expect that you have watched Ted Lasso, at least through season two. There will be spoilers ahead and scenes that don't make sense if you don't have some familiarity with the show. The Teaching Like Ted Lasso Little Theater presents a scene from season two, episode five. Roy, I was looking for some insight about how he'll play. I told you, I don't know. All we do is sit around here and guess what a bunch of little are going to do out there, and then we come back at halftime and we complain because they don't do exactly what we thought they'd do. We don't know. Of course we don't know. We're not in the locker rooms with them. We're not on the pitch with them. We can't look them in the eyes and encourage them to be better than they ever thought they were capable of being. We're just, we're just on the outside looking in, judging them. All right. Thank you very much uh, for joining us here. Uh, we have Robert Kaplinsky with us. One of the major themes that uh, comes across in uh, the show Ted Lasso is to be curious, not judgmental. Robert, at a recent NCTM, uh, shared a presentation about what your students in foster care wish you knew. I'm probably mangling the title, which is terrible. I've got it written down somewhere here. It really just blew me away in terms of both... Um, uh, Robert and uh, Rosalba Serrano, his uh, co-presenter, and uh, also Jessica, who presented with you, your honesty, your forthrightness, um, and 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 the empathy that that you both know that te- kind of teachers have and is needed uh, with these learners. So um, anyhow, so Robert, uh, could you just kind uh, kind of tell us about yourself, like uh, what's your work and what are you up to? Thank you, John. I appreciate it. I really appreciate the opportunity just to even talk about this. Uh, so my name is Robert Kaplinski. I live in Long Beach, California. I've been an educator since around 2003. Uh, I worked as a teacher specialist for Downey Unified School District. Uh, I now work as a consultant doing professional develop- development for teachers. I also am president of grassroots workshops. You may have heard about some of the stuff I've done, including Open Middle, which is a math website for teachers with kinds of math problems. Um, I also created a hashtag called Observe Me, uh, which teachers have been using to kind of invite teachers into their classroom and get feedback. So, uh, yeah, I, I've had a lot of fun just trying things out in education. I'm grateful to have that opportunity. And I've used open middle problems extensively, both with learners and with future teachers. And um, the Observe Me as well, right, is that I really think that the best way to get better at teaching is to talk about teaching that you you have a shared experience. Just, just speaking briefly about that, some of the most valuable experience I've had as an educator was either teaching a lesson with other teachers, observing me and giving me feedback, or me observing other teachers and just thinking, what would I do here? And okay, what do they do there? And sometimes I'm like, oh, wow, that's a much better, op- much better option than I had. And uh, I mean, how wouldn't you get better if you had lots of people, lots of eyes in the classroom and ears just giving you feedback? Of course you get better. So uh, any opportunity for that, I'm really excited for. And actually, I see both those things tying into the kind of curiosity theme as well, right? The open middle is 
really about kind of giving kids an opportunity to use a variety of strategies and uh, then for the the teacher to both kind of see those and for learners to share those. Um, and and obviously the kind of curiosity of wanting to see other people teach and the curiosity of what others see in your teaching. Absolutely. Um, but this uh, this presentation that just blew me away. So you have both the blog post, which was the first thing I read, and then you were able to share the video of the session. And we'll include the links uh, for people to be able to kind of read that and see that. So I'm not going to ask you to kind of blow by blow recap the entire thing. Um, but kind of what put it on your heart to share this? So this presentation was co-presented with, like you said, Rosalba Serrano, and Jessica Jones also shared her story. And, and the reality is that none of our stories are comfortable to share. But the reality is, if we don't share this, who does? And if I could critique society at large, it's severely lacking in empathy. And I think that if people better understood other stories, you have much better understanding of where they're coming from. But who speaks for our foster youth? Like, who tells that story? And we kind of got to this point where, okay, it may not be our favorite experience, but if we're not going to say it, then we're basically okay condemning future generations of foster youth to having no one tell their story. So it'd almost be ridiculous for us to not share the story. So basically we were hoping to give teachers who were interested in hearing it, the perspective of what that experience of coming up as a foster youth must be like. And we hope that it was clear that like no single person could tell the complete story, but hopefully having uh, three different perspectives could give you some segment of what is possible. And I mean, I'll be honest, there've been times where like, I might have, I mean, maybe as a teacher, we've all had this moment where we we really thought something about a student and later we found out that a parent died or someone's really sick and we're like, oh, oh. And then we have that, we take a step back and question why we even thought that if we had known this, we would have treated them differently. And that's the reality is that you just, I hope most people don't know what it's like to be in foster care. And so then how would you know that? So that is really what our goal was to really just add a layer of perspective help you go from, I don't know what I don't know to, oh, now I know there's a lot of things I don't know. I should learn more about them. And you shared your own experience having come through foster homes. Were there teachers who kind of had that had that empathy, right? I mean, did you get a chance, chance to see the kind of what, a, what positive effect a teacher could have knowing that? Oh, yeah. So I would say the most amazing outcome that happened immediately after was, uh, I think, three teachers who had been through foster care that were math teachers now. And clearly when they saw that title, they're like, oh my gosh, I need to go to this. And while my, well, none of our stories were exactly their story, they could see themselves in this presentation. And I think that was, I mean, I've never had that experience and I, I know it was validating for them. There was another category of people who were um, parents of foster youth or guardians of, of foster youth. And they were able to better understand what these children that they love had gone through. Then there was another layer of parent, I'm not parents, but educators who just had foster youth that, you know, I mean, who, uh, reality, who doesn't have foster youth? If you don't have foster youth in your classroom, it's called, you just don't know what's really going on because no one wants to, like, I didn't, I don't know if any of my teachers ever knew that I was a foster youth. It was not at all something I ever wanted to talk about. So I don't know if they knew. I mean, I don't know if teachers just talked about, oh, that Robert kid, he's in foster care. So, you know, knowing that is useful. Um, and then I would say there was just some people who were just like, just good humans that just, I mean, and it's not my intention to say that if you didn't come, you're not a good human, 
but there are people who were there just because they wanted to better understand the story and they were just grateful to be there. So it was, it was, and then, and then from there I got emails and other people like, can I say the worst thing that could happen? The worst thing that happened is no one ever talks about, no one ever shares it and the story dies. So everyone who's like, this touched me, I'm going to share it with these teachers. Like that was the whole point. Like, I really hope that that grows because like the worst case scenario is like some children have better outcomes because we did that. And that's really what it was all about. Oh, I love that. So for a teacher who has uh, foster kids, either that they know or they don't know, so that maybe they've become aware of this idea that they that they don't know what they what they don't know. Um, what kinds of things could they do in the classroom or individually with students uh, to kind of just start to remedy that? I, as a default human, tend to kind of not really mention things that I'm not really sure about. Like, let's say a child, uh, there are definitely children who unfortunately, as young children, have cancer and go through cancer treatment. And like, I don't know, do you want to talk about it? Is it awkward to talk about it? Is it awkward to pretend it never happened? So if I'm being honest, I just tend to pretend nothing happened and just treat you like normal. And if I was a teacher and didn't have this experience as being, you know, part of foster, being in foster care. So I was in foster care for three and a half years living in a group home. So if I was a teacher and never had that experience, I think I'd probably just like not say anything or not mention it because I would not want to make the person feel uncomfortable. But now that I've gone through that experience, I guess if I had a teacher who wasn't just coming to make me feel bad, like, oh, you're probably just not doing your homework because you don't even care, you're in foster care. Like that's not, I don't think anyone's like that. But no one suffers from getting too much love. Right. And if you have to choose anywhere to shower your love, foster youth can always use more love. And if you're just like, hey, you know, just trying to do nice things, if you uh, being a cheerleader for them, celebrating their win, like the thing is, some kid might get an A in a test and then they go home and no one cares because they're just in some sort of system. So celebrate that A, celebrate a B, celebrate doing homework, celebrate coming to class on time. And I think that. Just being a cheerleader, listening to them, making sure that, you know, ask them, how's your day going? Like, and, and genuinely want to hear the answer and then follow up. Like, no one, I mean, tell me anyone in your life of any lifestyle that wouldn't want someone to care more about them. But I'm saying these people really need your love and attention. You don't have to talk directly about that. They may not want to talk about that, but the extra love, the extra appreciation is always welcome. And maybe at some point down the line, you know, they may never say anything, but like I've got countless teachers who I so appreciate them just loving me and, and being there for me. I actually worked hard to find them later, even if they retired and make sure they knew what an impact they made for me. Uh, not every instance was, was possible, but yeah, love, care, like just genuinely love and care for these kids. You'll never regret it. It really hadn't occurred to me until you pointed it out how those relationships with teachers were sometimes the longest relationships you had with adults. It's not my favorite, but the reality is that the people who work at group homes, that's their job. It's not their lifestyle. It's not their career in a lot of cases. So they may not be there for five years. They were often there for months, six months, seven months, eight months, a year. The reality was that each of these is my literal guardian. But in the three and a half year period, I had far more than 20 guardians. Think about what that means if you had 20 parents in three years. So like you said, in three years, I might have like 18 teachers, right? Six times three, 
uh, but you have that same person for sure for the whole year. And so if you can like have, I mean, that, that teacher may be the most consistent relationship in that child's life, which is terrifying and kind of beautiful, but still kind of terrifying that that's what some of these kids may be dealing with. And I appreciate it also, like your sensitivity to teachers. You talked about how Marilyn Burns shared that this is the toughest time to be a teacher. You're clearly not trying to put burdens on people. No, there's literally, I mean, I, I know the difference between figuratively and literally, and I think literally there has never been a harder time to be a teacher than right now. Um, you know, you're, you're underpaid, overworked. There's no subs. You have to do period coverage. You don't want to do um, your society doesn't see your value. It's, it's terrible right now. Uh, you're, you've got your own mental traumas and you, your students for sure have their mental traumas and they're behind and you're expected to do more standards than you could possibly do in one year, but you also have to make up two years of mislearning. Like, I freaking get it. What I, I guess my main point is that I, I I think there are very few teachers who get into teaching and don't love kids. I think every teacher gets into teaching because they freaking love supporting children. And if I'm being real, sometimes or a lot of times children in foster care are not the easiest people to make connections to because they have a lot of traumas and they may not trust any adults, let alone teachers. And so if I'm being honest, I don't know. I mean, if I had to choose where to shower my love, it probably wouldn't be the ones who are the most difficult. But what I'm saying is the reason they're most difficult might also be the reason they need you the most. And that isn't always intuitive. I know it wasn't intuitive for me in a lot of situations, um, but I'm just encouraging you to work through that whenever possible, give them the benefit of the doubt, give them the extra love. Uh, it might take a long time, but you could make a difference in your life that literally no one else is able to do. And one of the things I, I loved most about your presentation is how I feel like this kind of approach, it's going to be good for everybody. I think the more we understand about where people are coming from, the better we can connect with them. I, I think some of the biggest issues come from making assumptions about other people's motives and other people's background. And just in general, making time for other people, especially ones that are underprivileged, I think is a, is a beneficial thing. It uh, really struck me, um, Rosalba shared um, uh, that this is a profession about making academics work. Uh, but then she said, but it's it's got to start with humanizing the academics. So you've, your message has reached a teacher. Um, they're they're wanting to take that step. They do love children, as you were saying. How might they start? We could speak broadly, but if we're narrowing it down to students in foster youth, students who are foster youth who are in foster care, I think it'd be worth asking um, your counselors, your administrators, who in my classrooms are foster youth. I, I mean, I don't recall that information ever being shared with me as a teacher, I think maybe I would just hear a rumor from another teacher. I I mean, if I can call myself out, I definitely didn't do enough to actively figure out who was in foster youth, uh, who, who was a foster youth and, and who needed more support. I mean, if I'm looking back critically, I would like to be more proud of what I did than I am. I know that once I knew you were foster youth, I really try to befriend you, but I could have done more. So I would say start there is try to figure out who they are 
And then just, I'm not at all saying giving them preferential treatment, like give them it round their grade up a grade. I'm not saying yeah. that. I am saying like an extra greeting, an extra moment where you put your hand on their shoulder and just say, hi, you know, ask them about their weekend. Um, ask them what they're looking forward to. Find out what their interests are. Connect with them on that level. Like you will, you may not know that it made a difference, but you will never regret it. And does that take more time? Yeah. Maybe you're having lunch one day and you invite a couple of kids and you include that kid there, right? Or maybe you make sure that that kid is making connections with other kids and making healthy friendships. Just looking out for them in a way, I'm not saying to be their parent, but like kind of a guardian angel, just looking out for them and trying to give them just a little bit more than you might normally do. Me too. It's about equity, not equality. We're not trying to give each child equal treatment. We're trying to give each child the treatment they need to get to where we want them all to be. And these students may need more love and support than perhaps other students who come from a, a two-parent privileged household. That's just phenomenal advice. And I love the empathy that, that, that you're encouraging. You were very careful. I just want to give you a, a kind of a chance to say, if you want, about uh, the idea of intersectionality with respect to your experience. Yeah. So um, as a white man, that never made me being in foster care any harder, right? Uh, no one's ever been like, oh, you're white. This is going to be harder for you. Or you're, you're male. It's going to be harder for you. And so when I was doing this presentation, um, you know, as it turned out, because the pandemic, Rosalba was going to, we were both going to do it together in person. And then she's no longer in education full time. And we thought about canceling it. We thought about just having me do it. But how can I tell any sort of like remotely comprehensive story with just my perspective? So it was very important to me to have uh, the perspective of women in color who have also, women of color who've also been in foster care. Uh, again, uh, that's still not going to be the complete story. But I just think really people need to explore. It's not that being in foster care was easy for me but that the color of my skin and my gender didn't make it harder. It could have been even more challenging for me to navigate if I was a person of color or if I was non-binary or a woman. So I just think that that's a really important thing that we can't neglect when we're having this conversation. Black children are more likely to be in foster care as a percentage of the population than white children. And I think that's important just to realize that there are different outcomes depending on you know your demographics. And we would be... I don't say ignorant, but we'd be, we would not be presenting a complete story without acknowledging that. And and, and let's be clear, you can keep going down there. Um, I'm cisgender, I'm heterosexual. If I wasn't, that would be another thing that I think would be challenging to navigate. And just all of these just make it that much more challenging. And, and it's in disingenuine to fail to acknowledge that. Yeah. The, the statistics on how many queer kids wind up in foster care are um, heartbreaking. Yeah, absolutely heartbreaking. And it's it's very important that we show that if we wanted to have like a slightly more, you know, comprehensive picture. Well, um, is there anything else that, that I haven't attended to that uh, you would want people to know kind of before hopefully they go read the blog post and watch the presentation? Yeah, I would say if, if you have no time for this, I freaking get it. So I'll tell you the spoiler. The spoiler is that it may seem like it's easier or better to just kind of treat them like normal, treat them like everyone else, but really the right thing to do is to just love them up, be kind, be a cheerleader, listen to them. Uh, it's not, it doesn't have to be a lot more. It could literally just be, you know, how's it going? And, and genuinely hearing them and genuinely following up with them. Um, 
30 seconds a day, but you will make a difference that you will never know um, for a child who really needs that help. Excellent. Oh, thank you so much, Robert, for joining us for a quick chat and uh, um, uh, blessings on your future work. Thank you very much, John. We appreciate Robert and the important message he has shared with our audience. For more information from this special feature, please see our show notes.